0: Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. My name is Corey and I am one of the pastors here at Trace. And whether you're watching this online or you're here in the room, uh, it is my privilege to be able to bring a message here to you today. Uh, we're currently in a series called Killing Gods. Yeah, that's what we do here at Trace. Uh, it's little g gods, though, not big g gods. And, and last week, what we saw was uh, Jesus placed two gods in direct opposition to each other, and he told us we have to choose. He said we can either choose to serve the God of mammon, the God of money, or we can choose to serve the Lord God, but only one can truly get our hearts. Now, if you didn't get a chance to catch that message last week, we want to encourage you guys to go back and watch it because it was an incredible message, despite the fact that I wasn't the one who preached it, all right? So Aaron did a great job on this, and he brought it to us in a way that you can understand and it would challenge us, plus he also had some things that, that you, you won't want to miss out on, things like upcoming new staff that we have that we're adding to to our team and, and potential facilities that we're looking at and praying about, and so uh, just be, uh, be looking for that. Go online and watch that message. Well, today... Uh, we're going to take a look at another God. And we're going to take a look at a God that, that vies for our attention and for our allegiance. And I have a feeling that today uh, you're not going to like this message too much. Uh, because I, I think it's, it's going to hit a little bit closer to home than what you or I might want to be comfortable uh, examining. And so here's the deal. I, I understand that. If you got complaints, you want to send me an email. My email is Aaron Pennington at... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> But here's, I, I remember, I'm just a messenger. And, and this message that I'm speaking to you is one that, that I am challenged with myself. There are perspectives that I have to challenge in and of myself in order to get it right. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, there are gods out there that we need to kill. And that is why we are in this series today. I, I've got a statement for you, and I've got a proposition for you. Here's the statement. I believe that we were created to worship. Now, that might not be a stretch for some of you guys, but think about that for a minute. I believe that there's something innate inside of us that that acknowledges that there's something or someone out there that exists that is bigger than us, that is greater than us. An essence of being, call it a God, if you will. And we might find ourselves fighting against this notion at times, but here's the proposition. Either God created us or we created God. Either there is a, a being out there that is responsible for our existence or for some reason we have manufactured as mankind this concept of God. From the beginning of recorded history, people have had a fascination with and a belief in the divine. You can go back and see this historically. Every culture that has been created has some concept of the divine and of, of a God. Every culture sought to identify, to understand and even name that which is beyond them it is our theology that actually helps us make sense of the world even if your theology seeks to dismiss the notion of a God in the first place and if that's where you find yourself at today you are welcome here understand we're going to be talking about that very concept here in a couple weeks and so we'll come back to that but what we believe to be true about God it determines the way in which we see the world ourselves and others and how we respond to those things as well. Our theology leads our worldview, if you will. And in many cases, uh, whole villages, people groups, regions, uh, even entire countries have been influenced and defined by their particular belief in a God. And what you need to know is that wherever they go, they take their God with them. Uh, what I want us to do uh, right now is I want you to take I want to take you to Second Kings chapter seventeen. I stumbled across this uh, several months ago in my in my D one reading It was with the chapter that I happened to be reading. So if you have a Bible with you or you got it electronically on your phone, go ahead and, and open up to Second Kings. And while you're doing that, let me quickly explain a D one for those of you all that don't know what that is. Uh, for For us here at Trace, it just happens to be our our, our Bible study format. Uh, and what we encourage people to do is every day to be in the Bible and read just a chapter a day. and out of that chapter, identify one verse that stands out to you and and write down one thought and spend one moment in in prayer to God and, and share that thought with one person and you'll find yourself uh, coming in contact with God at a greater degree. Matter of fact, right now as, a, as an entire church, uh, we, we've thrown out a squad goal, and the squad goal is a 70-day challenge, and we're in the book of Acts right now reading through this, and so if you've not done that yet or you haven't started with us, we want to invite you guys to jump in and start with us on that. Stop by guest services. They can tell you more about that. Let's jump into 2 Kings chapter 17 uh, because as I, as I saw this passage as I was reading, I was like, you know what? That will be a great Springboard. That would be a great platform for me to jump from as we talk about gods today. But let me give you a little context, okay? We have the people of Israel at the time who, who worship the Lord God, but they have gotten way sidetracked, like over and over and over again sidetracked. And, and at this point, uh, the, the Lord God determines that the only way to get them back on track is to let them be conquered and removed from their land. And so he causes or allows the Assyrians, uh, think modern day Iraq and Iran, this this nation, this group here, uh, to come in and to actually to conquer and invade. And they deport the people of Israel and they bring them to Assyrian towns. Well, what that does is it leaves a void uh, in, in the area of Samaria where the Israelites were from. And so he takes a bunch of people from Assyria, from all around, and he actually inserts those guys and settles them in this town of Samaria. And so now the people here, this is an incredible chapter. It talks about, like, lions eating these guys and everything else. It's pretty awesome. You need to go back and read it. Uh, but uh, but what happens is they start to instruct these Assyrian settles, settlers about the, the god of that land, the Lord God. And, and that's what we'll pick up in this verse. Uh, verse 28 of chapter 17 says this. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled. And it goes on to talk about these different regions and groups of people that were coming there. It says, the people from Babylon made Succoth benath. Now, i got to tell you guys, I, I kind of feel bad for the people of Babylon because their God sucketh. So, <laughs> just reading what it says, all right? Those from Kutha made Nurgle. they got to come up with some better names, man. Uh, those from Hamath made Ashima. Uh, the, the Avites made Nipaz and Tartak. I swear those guys are from, from Star Wars. I, they, I think they are. And, and catch this. The Seraphites burned their children in the fires as sacrifices to a and an Now, guys, I said this before. I'll say it again. Our belief in God affects the way that we see the world around us and that we respond to it. For these guys, their particular belief in the sun god and the moon god, that's who these guys are at this time, it caused them to actually burn their children in the fire. That's how they saw this god, and that's how they responded to him. And they find themselves in this quandary because now they're in a land. They they understand who the Lord God is, but there are other gods along with them, and so they worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. Now, I I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm a guy who needs lots of illustrations. I need correlations. I need things to be able to help me understand this. And so if if you allow me to, sports is kind of a go-to thing for me. And so I'm going to illustrate what's happening here with these Assyrian settlers uh, by talking about your your favorite NFL football team. All right. So just imagine for me, for right now, I know none of you guys, guys would actually do this. Uh, You wouldn't deify the football teams that you like, but for for just a moment, all right, imagine that your favorite NFL team is is actually representative of a God, okay? Now, now for me, um, I I grew up uh, loving the Cincinnati Bengals, okay? I I got one. All right, that's good. (laughs) Don't judge me, all right, too quickly. This is what you need to understand about the Bengals. Uh, they were the, the nearest big city that, that, that was to my hometown, which was in Kentucky. And, and so uh, I grew up kind of being exposed to the Bengals. They were the team that was, was on TV. They were, they were a team that my parents supported, that my friends supported. Paraphernalia was everywhere. And the Bengals were actually good back then. They had Boomer Esiason and, and Icky Woods. You all remember these? You remember the Icky Shuffle? Yeah, i was just, yeah, get it. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> That's like a terrible dance nowadays. Like they showed that up. But he was the start. he was, he started it all. Okay. Now here's the deal. I grew up being a Bengals fan, loving the Bengals, but I moved away. I, I moved from uh, from that area and that region of the world to to Arizona. And uh, and, I, and I brought my half-hearted love of my bingos with me because they were struggling at the time. Uh, and I was now exposed to the Arizona Cardinals during the days of, of Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald. And these guys were up and coming. And the wonderful thing was that they were in different conferences. So different land, different God, different conference. I was able to root for both of them. It was okay, all right? Uh, but But then... Then I move up here to Colorado and and I bring along with me my my fondness and my my history with both the Bengals and the Cardinals, but now I'm exposed to the Broncos, which I've heard some of you guys say is the one true team. Um, (laughs) And So so I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted, right? Because it's, it's okay to root for multiple teams. You can do that until those teams play in the playoffs. And then you have to find out where your allegiance truly lies, right? Because there can only be one true love. And that's exactly, guys, that's exactly what's happening with these settlers here in Assyria. They are faced with the things that they have known and the things that they have grown up with. And now there's new things that they're being exposed to, the Lord of the land. And they're having to figure out who they choose and who they follow. Now, you might be wondering, why is all this important? Here's why it's important. All of us have been brought up with a version of God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in church, so that's not true for me. It, that, that That's actually, it's still true. You still have a version of God, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it comes from your church experience. You have belief systems and understandings of how he interacts, and that affects the way that you respond and, and how you react. It, you don't have to go to, to Bible college in order to have a theology of God. You have a belief system and an understanding and a study of who God is, and it affects the ways in which we respond, and the ways in which we act to others. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is not, do we have a theology, do we have a belief? It's, does our version of God align with the Lord God? Now, that that is the way that I'm going to make our distinctions today between uh, big G and little g, okay? When I talk about uh, the Lord God, I'm talking about big G God, okay? When I'm talking about uh, just the gods of this world or this land, it's the little g God. And so, does our version of God align with the Lord God Or is it derived from somebody told me so? Or that makes the most sense to me? Or that's simply what I grew up with? Guys, I have a feeling that our version of God is largely shaped by the land in which we live. And as we have already seen, each land has its own God. And so that begs the question, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, um, is trying to figure out what is the predominant God of the land that we live in and how is it shaping our version of how we see God and how we respond to him? Now, it's, it's not an uncommon thing to, to find many names spoken of the same God. We see that all throughout uh, history. Now, in this particular situation, I'm going to share some of the names that you might know the God of this land by. And, and, and admittedly, these are a little bit exaggerated, but just catch me and see if you've ever caught yourself thinking of God in this way. The, the first name would be this, Bodyguard God. I want you all to say that with me. Ready? Bodyguard. It's harder than it sounds, right? Yeah, okay. I made you all say that because I'm going to mess it up up here, and then you all can't make fun of me because you just messed it up just now, okay? Now, here's the deal. We we hit on this back in the fall a little bit, and we talked about it, but here's what bodyguard God says. He won't let anything bad happen to you. His goal is to keep you safe and protect you from all the evil and the bad things in this life. Come to this God, and you don't have to worry about a thing. Because somebody told you somewhere along the way that if you become Christian, then the pain that you have right now will go away. That the bad things in the life that happen to other people, it won't happen to you. And that's bodyguard God. We see him as being our ultimate protector, never allowing anything bad or evil to happen to us. Maybe you have seen him. Maybe that is the God that you have a belief in. It comes with some problems, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Maybe you know this God of this land by this name, Convenience God. Comfort and ease is the life he offers. You don't have to work for it because he will provide. The fact is I can sin all I want and conveniently ask for forgiveness, and it goes away. I can go to church when it's convenient. There's no expectation or commitment or accountability because God doesn't expect much of me. He's there when I need him just like Walgreens right around the corner, okay? He, he is convenient God, and he exists for our convenience. Maybe you know him by that name. May, maybe you know him by another name. Uh, maybe you know him by on-demand God. I started thinking about what, what are some of the things that you might hear on-demand God say? What are some slogans that he might offer you? Here, here are some of the ones I came up with. I'm here to serve you. You know what? This is your world. I'm just the one who created it. Uh, your wish is my command. Have it your way. Freaky fast response to your request, all right? That, that, is, the, that is on demand God. He, he's the God that we pull off the shelf, okay? And, and, and He's the magic lamp that we rub, and, and out pops our God, and, and we ask Him of our requests and then we put him back in the lamp or our Bible, whatever you want to consider, and we put it on the shelf, and then he's there for us another day when we want him on demand. Now, guys, I'm I'm absolutely positive that these concepts are over-exaggerated, but they are nonetheless reflections of the way in which we see the God of this land and how he shapes our opinion of this life. Now, when you take a closer look at the common denominator between these gods that I just mentioned to you what you're going to find is this. They all derive from self. They all derive from egotism. Now, if we were to identify the God of this land by his highest name, his name would be self-God. That is the God of this land, and he is the one that we need to get a very clear picture of today because we need to take him down because he is vying for your allegiance and for your attention. And he's causing some confusion in this land. Now, when I talk about self-God, this is what you need to know. I'm I'm not saying that we consider ourselves to be God's. Okay? There are lines of thinking and there are theology that would lead you down that road. Uh, Mormonism ultimately thinks that you, will, you can become your own God. And humanism says you know, the buck stops with humanity. That's not what I'm talking about. We've already made a case for the fact that we're created to worship. We, we generally speakingly, generally speaking, think that there is something greater than us that is higher than us. Okay, that there is a God that exists. But what we do then is we actually project ourselves on that God. And what we see in Genesis 127 is God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. But we turn around and we try to then recreate God in our own image. And the result is that we we get a God that we can understand. We get one that we can comprehend. He's not too far above our mindsets. And we get one that exists for our benefit, for our luxury, one that we can manipulate. We get a God that fulfills our purposes and gives us permission to pursue the things that we like and to despise the things that we hate because he is God made in our own image. Think about that, guys. Oftentimes, um, we are great justifiers. And we do that in, in and without a concept of God but when we're able to attribute to God the same attributes the same likes and the same hates that we have it makes it much easier for us to justify those things a gal named Ann Lamont says it this way she says you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do think about this with me for a moment. In, in the recent political and current political client that we find ourselves in? Isn't it easy for us to somehow think that God thinks the same way that we do and the people that are on the other side of the line are going to hell? They're, they're wrong. They're evil. They're not followers of Jesus just because of a political stance that they might take. Guys, we're in the midst of, of some of the, the, the greatest uh, racial, gender Uh, religious tension that we've experienced at least in my lifetime and it makes it really easy for you to hate the people that are not like you because you start to attribute those things to God and he hates those and so it makes it okay for me to hate them too it's because that's reflective of self-God not the Lord God and here's the tricky part about self-God the God of this land he meshes himself with the true characteristics that are also seen in the Lord God and he also meshes those with other things we've picked up along the way, from city to city, from town to town, from team to team. And we wind up in the same situation the Assyrian settlers found themselves in. They're worshiping the Lord God, but they also are serving their own gods. And worse yet, what happens for many of us is we start to merge these two things into one, and we start seeing the Lord God as self-God. And we start to attribute those attributes to the Lord God. But here's the deal, guys. The problem is the Lord God, the, Bible, the God of the Bible, creates an entirely different paradigm for us to work from. He says, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Don't put me in the same camp as this guy over here. Let me, let me show you who I am. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we do not know everything there is to know about the Lord God. He is big. He is infinite. Um, but we do know that he's chosen to reveal himself to us in certain ways. He's not a God who desires to be hidden somewhere and and for us not to be able to find him. He wants us to know who he is, and so therefore he's, he's chosen to reveal himself to us. And he's done so by speaking through the prophets and, and through angels and by sending his one and only son as a, as a perfect reflection of who he is. And he spoke certain things that we have captured. And he gave us a spirit to help us understand things. And that spirit inspired men to write certain things. And those things have been compiled into a book. And that book, now we call the Bible, is, is something that gives us insight into who he is and what he has done and the things that he has said. And so we can make a clear distinction between the Lord God and self-God if we want to. So let's take a look at a few things that the Lord God says so that we can make some of those distinctions. First of all, you need to understand this. Isaiah 45 says this. God makes a a bold statement. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. What he is saying is, guys, um, this other God that you're putting on the same playing field with me, he's a false God. He's a facade. He doesn't even exist. I am the only thing that actually exists. This is my world. And if you want to know about it, I'll tell you about it. But you need to start with that notion. This is about me. This is my world. You're just living in it. And then uh, there's lots of scriptures that that would help us to make this distinction. But probably uh, one of the clearest descriptions that we see is it, it comes from the very mouth of Jesus and he says this, he says, guys, if you want to follow me, if you want to be on the side of the Lord God and be a part of his camp, if you want to be my disciple, then this is what you need to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Guys, that, that doesn't sound like self-God to me. That sounds like sacrifice. That sounds like submission. It's not self-preservation. The the very act of baptism. By the way, guys, we got to baptize 10 people in our church just a couple weeks ago, which is incredible. That is so cool that we've gotten the opportunity to do that. But everybody that went into the water, you know what they did? They died to themselves. They submitted their life and their will to God. And they came up and said, I no longer live. You live in me and I live for you. That is what the Lord God demands. That is not what self God promotes. That is not what he teaches us and tells us. God, the Lord God says, this is my world. You just live in it. And he reminds us in various ways that you are just a mist. In the grand scheme of things, you are a speck. You are a sneeze. You are a breath. You are a moment. And that's all. But then he whispers in he says but you matter. You're a mist. You are a moment. That's it. Keep yourself in perspective, but you matter. And it's in it's in that whisper of you matter somehow we get these guys confused. Somewhere along the way we have confused the idea of a gracious God with one who exists for our benefit. We've heard of a good God and a God who, who provides, and we've confused it for a God who chooses to do our bidding and give us what we want. We see that Jesus came to serve and not to be served, and we confuse his sacrifice that he displayed on the cross for us for a God that exists to serve us. And when we start to view God in this way, it creates an overdeveloped sense, uh, overdeveloped sense of entitlement, where we start to feel that we deserve a second chance because self-God tells us it doesn't matter how many times we screwed up, we, d- we deserve a second chance. That's not what the Lord God says. Does he give us second chances? Yes, but it's not because we deserve them. Guys, I, I have conversations with people and, and, and I'll have a guy come in to my office and he'll start talking to me about how uh, he's cheated on his wife and she wants to leave him and he's like, I just man, I just deserve, I deserve a second chance. And I want to look at him and go, no, you don't. No, no you, you deserve for her to leave your sorry butt. You, you screwed up. You broke your vow. That's what you deserve. But the Lord God says, look at my sacrifice. Look at the grace that I have offered you. I can offer forgiveness not only to you, but so that you can show it to others. I can restore relationship. I can do that, but it's not because you deserve it. It's because I've made a way for it to be possible. Guys, sometimes when we view God in in, in the self-God way, what happens is is we get abrasive toward a God that would punish somebody and not extend grace to them. In other words, a God who would allow somebody to go to hell. We have a hard time with that when we look at self-God because we've made him in our image and we want to to be on that side. But, But here's the deal, guys. The Lord God is glorified just as much in his judgment as he is in his mercy because the Lord God is just as just as he is loving. That's who he is. When we have this view of God, this self-God, we oftentimes get disappointed when we pray for something and God doesn't grant it for us. The on-demand God, where are you at? I asked for this. I had faith in this. It wasn't even something that was selfish. Why didn't you answer it the way that I wanted you to? Because we're looking at it from self-God's perspective, not the Lord's God's perspective, who says that his ways are higher than ours. He knows more stuff than we know. He can see the future. And so he chooses to answer our genuine prayers, as, as if we would have asked them if we knew all that he knows. That's because that's who the Lord God is. Now guys, I, I want to make a couple strong statements and I'm going to do this on purpose. I'm not doing it to, to make you mad or make you upset, but just to bring further clarification between the Lord God and self-God because we need to, we need to clarify these two things. We got to kill self-God today. And here, here are the statements, okay? Statement number one. I don't think the Lord God Cares as much about your safety as you think he might. I don't think that he cares as much about your safety and keeping you secure and protecting you as you think that he does. And here's why. The reality is, uh, there are people that have lived on this earth that are much better than you and I, and that have done much more significant things for the kingdom of God than you and I have done. And yet, they experienced horrendous deaths on behalf of God. Because I think that God was more concerned about their obedience and their witness than he was about their safety and their security at that time. Guys, I, I don't think that there's anything particularly bad about praying for safety. But, but maybe if we're serving the Lord God, maybe our prayers should actually shift towards prayers of obedience encourage to enter in regardless of what the cost might be to us statement number 1 statement number 2 the lord god doesn't give a rip about your convenience <coughs> guys i i could be wrong i don't see anywhere in scripture where comfort and convenience was something to be honored by god i, I just i can't find it anywhere if anything what what i've seen is that our pursuit of comfort and convenience in the American dream has actually uh, just caused an incredible downgrade in the American church and our faithfulness because we're more concerned about our comfort and convenience than we are uh, about doing things for God and being about who he is. John Stott in his book, Basic Christianity, makes a strong statement. I happily happen to agree with it. He says this. says, their religion, speaking of nominal Christianity, people who are waffling between self-God and the Lord God, it's a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. He says, if you want a life of easygoing self-indulgence, whatever you do, do not become a Christian. Guys, following Jesus is hard. He even says it is. For us to think anything different is not to actually have a clear picture of the Lord God. It's to put a picture of self-God up there and make a God for ourselves. Statement number three. Jesus is not your genie, all right? He's not your genie. We put, we put George and Jesus up against each other last week. You've got to choose. Guys, Jesus is, is not your genie. He is not here to do your every bidding, your every work. He's not going to answer all the prayers the way that you want him to, to answer them. And, and here's, we need to think about this. If he's not as concerned with our safety and security as we think he is, and we, we don't believe that he gives a rip about our convenience, then we need to be careful to think that he would actually grant us things that would give us those. Right? But somewhere, somewhere along the way, uh, we, we start to hear some, some scriptures and we get confused by these scriptures. And somebody told us something. And, and so what I want to do is I want to give you just a couple of verses that might bring some confusion. I'm going to try to bring clarity to and how it is that we approach God in this, this conversation. The uh, first one is John 14. It says this, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, from the onset, what that looks like is Jesus saying, hey, whatever you want. Whatever's in your heart, whatever it is that you desire, if you ask it and you have enough faith, I'll give it to you. But that's not the context in which we see this here. Nor are those statements that we see elsewhere in Scripture. Most of them are all to do with kingdom-minded things. What we see sandwiched in the midst of these two promises that Jesus offers us is so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Y'all catch that? Ask for anything that you want. As long as it's going to glorify God in the sun, and I'll give it to you. That's what he promises us. Look at Psalm 37. Same kind of situation. David writes, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I truly believe that God wants to give you the desires of your heart. I, I, I believe that. But, but we, also know, we also know that the heart is, is the most deceptive of all things, and it misleads us, and, and our feelings can, can, can cause us to desire things that are actually not good and they're not of God. Do you think that the Lord God is actually going to give you those things? No. So, so what does this mean? Well, this is what we also know about the heart. When, when we surrender and submit our lives to the Lord God, what he does is he puts his spirit in us. And that spirit actually transforms our heart. And he conforms our heart to God's heart, which means that our desires become his desires. And when our desires become his desires, guess what? He wants to give them to us because it's going to fulfill his purposes. And that's what the rest of this verse says. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. Guys, we have two options in this. We we can either conform to who the Lord God says He is or or we can actually create our own God in our own image, which is self-God. One of these two things is going to give in our lives. And so here's the one thing that I want to leave you with today as we combat this concept of self-God. Combating self-God begins with realizing that there's more to life than me. When you start to realize that simple thing, there's more to life than me, it doesn't start and end with me. It actually starts and ends with the Lord God, which means that my pursuit is in Him. It doesn't matter what I think is right or what makes most sense to me or the things that I've heard. I'm going to actually pursue the Lord God and I'm going to conform my view of who He is based upon what He tells me. And that's going to affect the way I see this world and the way in which I respond to it. Here's the deal, guys. Too many people, and maybe some of you guys are here today. You've walked away from Christianity. You've walked away from faith in God because you've been disappointed with the someone-told-me-so version of self-God that doesn't even really exist. Can I give you permission today? Can I give you permission to lose faith in that God? It's okay not to believe in a God like that. As, as a matter of fact, uh, going back to the Assyrian gods that we were looking at a little bit earlier, you know the one thing that's in common with all those gods? Do, do you know of anybody that, that, that serves um, sucketh today? Anybody? Other than the Patriots fans, you know? <laughs> no, nobody serves those gods anymore. They don't exist anymore because they have died off with the people who believed in them. You know the only god that still exists from that time? The Lord God. He's the one that has stood out because he is the one and only God. Apart from him, there is no other. And so let me challenge you with these words from Joshua as we conclude today. Fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Choose today whom you will serve. And as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord God. We're going to put to death, self, God. We pray with me, Father. Thank you for for today and, and for this message and the things that you've been teaching me and challenging me. Because the fact is, um, even though uh, I've studied your Word and I've spent time with you and I know who you are, I am guilty. So many occasions, I'm still trying to recreate you in my own image because it's it's easier for me to think of you in that way than it is for me to conform. My ways to your ways. So, Father, I pray that you give us a very clear image of who you are and that you would allow us to have the strength and the courage to be able to combat the gods of this land that would vie for our affection. We would give it completely to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.